Welcome to another episode of ASX Market Goss. For no more than 30 minutes, we're going to dig a little deeper with ASX listed small cap companies. Their focus, the future, the highs, the lows, and what's next. A part of this conversation is to get to know our guests at a personal level, their experiences, mentors, slips and slides, even down to their coffee of choice and life away from that share price and investment making decisions that they have to do, of course. And thank you for your feedback over the half dozen podcasts that have already been aired. We appreciate your feedback and spreading the word of ASX Market Goss. And today's guest is a remarkable story. It's Dean Tuck. He's the Managing Director of Dreadnought Resources, ASX Code DRE. Dean, appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a remarkable story. The AF article that was, of course, in print earlier in the year tells your journey. In a nutshell, in a podcast, can you give us a similar format of the life journey of since you've arrived in WA? Absolutely. So I came over here in 2007. You know, prior to coming to Australia, I was in, uh, very invested in lots of research. I was actually a geologist in the States, and I'd done science fair competitions as a kid, and I'd done uh, engineering studies and and, uh, geology studies in the States. And when I came over to Australia, there was two things I knew that I really wanted to do. I wanted to work in the field, and I wanted to work on on practical applications of of my science. And uh, at the time, coming from Texas, there's oil and gas and there's environmental science. And I got exposed to an early, early science called medical geology, and instead of studying how the, the humans mess with the environment, it's actually looking at how the environment messes with humans. And I, I love a good twist story. So uh, I came over here. One of the universities was offering that was UWA. So it was 2007. I had a full scholarship opportunity to come to University of Western Australia to do a PhD. Idealisms in hand. Bags never heard of Perth before in my life. Loaded up and went to the furthest point from Texas I could ever arrive to. <laughs> and... Uh, as I alluded to before, it was 2007. It was the start of this mining boom that we're, that we're still in the midst of. And um, all of a sudden, I was a geologist in Perth. I could spell rock. I had a pulse and uh, didn't take long for a, for a, for a crazy bloke and probably my oldest friends in, in, in Perth, uh, Brendan Britliff, who was working for Talisman Mining at the time, uh, came home from the, from the pub one day and he had alfoil on his hat and a big, long beard. And, he walks into the pub and goes, I found a copper vein this big. And I was like, who, who the hell is this guy? Like, I want to I have a beer with this guy and have a chat. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm being, Brindo's asking me if I want to come out and sit on a rig for Talisman Mining uh, to drill some copper up in the Pilbara. And uh, pulls me into the office, sets up an interview with Harry Cornelius, our exploration manager, and also you know my adoptive family here now. And Steve Elliott, an absolute outside-the-box legend, uh, worked with, with Helix, uh, one of the founders of Helix in the early days, which you guys did an interview on before. And uh, I had a T-shirt on. I didn't have a CV. I was wearing shorts and uh, doing the interview. Like, oh, can you know anything about exploration? No, sir. You know anything about minerals? Oh, a little bit. Can you identify chalcopyrite? Oh, yeah, that's the goldy-colored one, right? <laughs> yeah, Steve Elliott pokes his head in the door and goes, has he taken the job yet? And... Uh, that, that was the start of the most remarkable journey I think I, I could hope for in a career. Was it a, that simple, though? What about this barmaid? I'd love to know about the barmaid <laughs> part of this. So you seem to have skipped a pretty important part in regards to this journey. She, she was the So when I first came over here, I had about $2,000 in my pocket. And uh, UWA put me up at Trinity University, and I had to pay for that room and board. And so nine days in, my money was gone. And I had found the local pub down the road, which at the time was called KK's. 
which has since changed names a few times since. And uh, later behind the bar, Jess, uh, we became quick friends. And I was telling her what was going on. And she said, oh, she lived around the corner. She's like, I got a porch. I got a patio. Uh, you can just roll out there. and." So she wouldn't let you in the house? Oh, I, I was able to come in the house, but uh, I, I was stretched out. And actually, when I was back home in Texas a couple of weeks ago, my mom had the photos I sent to them of my <laughs> sleeping bag on the floor and my, my duffel bags and everything around the side of it. And, and, and Jess took me in. And, and the pub uh, really took me in. I met a lot of amazing people who I'm still friends with to this day on the back of those experiences. At that time, when you got no money and you're studying and you got nowhere really to stay, did you think at any time that it might have been beyond you, this whole it's, venture? It's, it's an adventure. You know, you sort of you get through it or, or you don't. So it's, you know, I've had the pleasure of working in some amazing places. I've been to Ethiopia. I've been to, you know, I traveled um, before I came to Australia. And you sort of, you roll with the punches and you make friends and, you know, it's, it's an adventure. You never know where it's going to end up. No, you don't. You know but it's a massive punt thing to come away from Texas with that amount of money, uh, knowing you were going to go to uni, knowing, okay, where's the income come? And the, and the, and the, and the postscript of all of it is, is a wonderful journey. We're going to get to that more in a moment. But there must have been some doubts in your head. There's always doubts. There's doubts with, I mean, still doubts today as, you know, an MD with a bunch of discoveries under my belt. You know, it's, it's still... It's still, there's doubts all the time and it just changes throughout life. And, you know, when young kids go out to play sport for the first time and leave home to go, go pursue a sporting career at another place, it's the same sort of, same sort of questions. Mm. So my first job, I mean, my father raised me with the right work ethic of no man's above any work. So my first job with a college degree in Australia was cleaning the toilets and, and the kitchen at the Ed K case. So here I was getting paid $15 an hour to clean toilets at the pub. And uh, I'd worked for oil and gas companies back in Texas for $10 an hour. I called up my parents and said, Mom, Dad, I finally, I understand Mexicans in Texas. You know, I understand the idea of being, that's a lot of money to do that work. Those will be the cleanest toilets they've ever seen. And then Steve's Bar down the road, I met the wine merchant there and uh, became, uh, second job was working in Steve's Bottle Shop. I, I grew up going down to Steve's on a Thursday <laughs> night. Yep. Let me tell you right here, right now, and hasn't it changed over <laughs> over the journey as well? So, Dean, if a younger Dean Tuck was to write himself a message about his career path and journey, where would Perth, you talked about not knowing anything about Perth, where would you have found yourself? And, and again, you saw that UWA had given you the option to go to study and do that stuff. But how do you get across that? Who who tipped you into looking online, UWA jumping off the page? It, it could have been anywhere in the world, not in a faraway place. That's right. And at the time, I was debating two main options. One was going to Johns Hopkins to do study up there, which would have had me work in and out of Antarctica as well. And that was a major, major draw card. Uh, but one of the professors at University of Texas at Dallas who had come on as a as sort of a one-hour-a-week course was a medical geology course, Bob Finkelman. And he's the one that introduced me to the UWA team. And it was, they published the book on medical geology and made the introductions. And it was, a, it was quite literally, a, you know, these moments that lead to things. There was a listserv, you know, back in those days where you had little email things that get sent out. And uh, there was a medical geology listserv. They added me to it. Bob Finkelman uh, got me to write a letter saying, I'm a young grad student. I'm looking for a place to go study medical geology. And UWA reached back and the rest is history. 
Dreadnought Resources MD Managing Director is Dean Tuck. He's our guest on ASX Market Goss, ASX code DRE. Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. Yeah, nice, <laughs> strong. Uh, if you had your time over again, would you have done anything different at this stage where you're at now to a young man venturing away from home and stuff? And, and what have been some of the the trips and the and the and the, the trip ups and the moments where you've gone, oh, I would have done that differently. Have you got any of those experiences? Any regrets, so to speak? I think there's always things that you'd want to do differently in hindsight, but a lot of those trip ups are the things that lead to to where you are. Life lesson. Life lessons, yeah. and so I don't think so. My, my regrets in life is not learning to play uh, an instrument. I did choir as a instead, and. I, don't have a voice for choir. You sound Irish, mate. I know you're from Texas. <laughs> Texas, I get that, but you keep lapsing into this this Irish accent, which I'm sat here when I was introduced to you. We introduced to each other, and I thought, okay, they're telling me he's a Texan. Is it because he was born in Ireland and just went to the states, and his parents have a Irish passport? Um, how are you going with shaking the <laughs> shaking the accent? Um, because you do have the ability of falling back into the heavy Texan scent. That's right. If I go back home, you know, my family talks proper Texas-like, and <laughs> it doesn't take long for me. Remember, <laughs> last time I went home, uh, you know, I had an instinct in Texas. you got to be proper, and you got to be be, uh, be a good gentleman, southern gentleman and the rest. And Have you been told that you have got the, the Irish sounding to you? I, I get the Irish thing a lot. I do, and which is funny because my brother-in-law is Irish, uh, Frank, and... And he doesn't think I sound Irish one one bit, but I've had other Irishmen think think I am. Does anyone think you're Australian? No, no. A lot, most Australians will either go with the Irish or they'll go with the safe bet Canadian because you know they're like Kiwis and, and Australians. You know the Canadians get offended, but the Aussies don't. So. <laughs> Are you wrapped that you're here? I mean, I, you go back through, and I, I must say it is a wonderful article. I had a quick read of Aaron Patrick's article in the AFA in regards to your bio and, and the like and your journey, should I say. Um, are you glad you're here? Absolutely. I love Australia. Uh, my family, my future's here. You know, I, I tell people all the time, as a, as a, geologist, in, as a geologist in general, you, you come to Perth and the three tallest buildings downtown are three of the largest mining companies of the world. No other city has anything like that. Like, there is no better place in the world for mining. They can oil, they say oil and gas. Everyone does a time in Houston. You know, Perth is Perth is one probably one of the mining meccas of the world. In a moment, we're going to ask you about Dreadnought and and its journey and your role there, of course, as the MD. Um, I'd just be interested to know in regards to your family. So, what is your family set up here in in Perth? Uh, being having been here now for into your sixteenth year. I've got my wife uh, wife Deanne and her whole family. So Filipino Catholics, you know, there's a thousand of them. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've actually built uh, three houses next door to each other and just recently moved in. So there's uh, my wife and I next door is her sister and, and uh, my brother-in-law and the three kids. And then the third house are the in-laws. And so we got Is that the, the norm? Is that was the way it was always going to be designed? Is that just for connectivity amongst the it's family? It's connectivity. The big one, you know, talking about that work-life balance. I, I'm a geologist. I work away in the field. I love the field. I'm very passionate about what I do. And But I have a wife. And there's a family and everything else. And in order to allow us to work work away, uh, it's important to have that family support there. So it was always sort of a dream um, to sort of have a setup at home to allow me to work away without having that, that relationship strife. And so it's something that we, we discussed very early on in the relationship, and it's something that we planned for. So I originally I worked in the Amazon, I worked in Myanmar, I've worked in all these beautiful places. But uh, you know, I can never do that. I can never take my wife somewhere and then leave her there. That's a very hard burden to play, and a lot of people do it, and that's why FIFO can be quite trying. So we tried to engineer a situation 
where uh, she would have a support group here so I could work away and we could all do what we needed to do to succeed. The Tuck Estate. The Tuck Estate, yes. The Tuck Compound. We call it the Compound. (laughs) (laughs) I'd imagine with three children, do they find their way two houses down the road? Oh, they love it. So if they need to, they actually heat up their own house. They can go see Grandma, they can see Uncle and Auntie. That's good for you. Oh, we love it as well. We don't have kids ourselves, but we we get to spoil them run. We get to be the crazy Uncle and Auntie and... And uh, do all of that course. fun stuff. So of it's course. it's uh, it's a fantastic setup, and oh, we absolutely that's good. love it. That's really refreshing. Uh, all right, so let's now double down again and go back to being on the rig, uh, having a t-shirt, not a, and, and and not knowing. I, I, I want to be I want to be respectful. Not exactly knowing what you were doing, if you know what I mean, in a roundabout way. Did you? How long did you pick it up and all of a sudden go, okay? This is where I'm going, and now I want to take it to the next stage. I want you to go back to that 2007 time. 2007. So when when Brindo and Harry gave me and Steve gave me the opportunity to head up to head up to the Pilbara and sit on an RC rig, I remember I got on the plane, was wearing my Wrangler skin tight jeans and my cowboy hat, and everyone staring at me. And I thought it's because they thought I was you know different, like because I was wearing a big cowboy hat. <laughs> but anyway, I get up to the rig and get out to sight, and I'm sitting there going, "This is this is amazing. This is my." This is my dream job. Like, are you kidding me? You're getting paid to go camping. How far offshore was it? How far off? I was in the, so we'd fly into Newman at that stage. Yeah. And then yeah. it was about an hour and a half, two hour drive out of town. So I was staying in a single room donger at uh, the caravan park in Newman and no. driving out to site. And at, at that point in time in particular, because we were driving from Newman to Wanamana, uh, in the mornings, the sun was behind us. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Pilbara sunrise or Pilbara sunset, but it's got to be one of the most majestic countries. The red rock, the the white gum trees and, and, the, and the khaki leaves and the spinifex. And then in the evenings driving back, it was the setting sun on the same thing. And it was probably the most magical commute of anything in the world. And then during the day, I'm on a rig. It's loud. It's exciting as well. You know, all that sort of fun stuff. And it was to, just a, an amazing experience and something that I think was a dream job that I didn't know existed. Yeah, and, and I didn't want to be disrespectful saying not knowing what you were doing. But again, it was oh, just... Oh, yeah, it's always but, making up. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you, it was, it was quick. It was. You talk about being on the on the porch at the young girl's place down in Nettie's or wherever it was, and all of a sudden you find yourself on a rig inside of several months. I would assume, judging yes, within, within about three months, three four months. Wow! So it happens really, really quickly. Um, any lonely times in that um, in that experience, or is it, is it, or do you just get adopted by a family when you're doing that? Type of stuff? I was very. Very thankful for the people I met in the early days. Now, we had a very adoptive family over here. But on the, on the other side of that, you know, we talk about the FIFO rosters and work-life balance and things. And I remember you know, 2007, it was a time crunch, personnel crunch. And uh, I would tell Harry all the time, just, just leave me on site. You know, I'm happy to go up there and do four, five, six weeks. Eight weeks was my breaking point. <laughs> um, but I was happy to stay on site. He's like, oh, don't you want to come home? And I said to Harry, he's like, Harry, personal not my home. Yeah. So... Like I, all of my, you know, when you do FIFO, you spend more time with the people on site than you do at home. And so those people became really close with my drillers, really close with the fieldies, really close with the other geos, the people in town. And so I enjoyed being up there. I was more than happy to be on site and spend long, long stretches up there. Dean Tuck is from Dreadnought Resources and uh, he is the managing director, and it, it is a remarkable story. And, and the whole journey story would be a podcast uh, sitting and uh, setting on its own. So pinpoint getting to Dreadnought. Getting to Dreadnought. 
it's it's a wild journey. And going back, I think, to your early questions, what advice would I give to people is, is take the opportunities, especially while you're young. Because if it's a bad opportunity and it turns out bad, then you can do it for six months, a year, and move on to something else. It's a good time to see lots of things. And so I had the opportunity to work, go from Talisman Mining, uh, the Clough family. Uh, Bill made friends with him, Diamond Steves as well, and he sent me off to the Amazon. He came in one day and said, here's a contract. You've done the desert, go to the jungle. Like, who's going to turn that down? And then got headhunted by BHP, and I saw an opportunity to, to get that big company exposure and some networking and met some lifelong friends there as well. And then went to, uh, got tapped back on the shoulder by Peter Langworthy, uh, the Omni guys, and went up to Myanmar and tried to get an opportunity going up there. And then came back and, and started doing exploration management sort of roles. And one day I get a phone call, a tap on the shoulder from, from, a, from a mate and going, hey, Dane, my, my father's uh, Nick Chapman, actually, who works for us. Uh, Dave Chapman, who was one of our founding directors of Dreadnought, said, hey, we're looking at floating uh, private entity. We're looking for an MD, which would be interested. And uh, so it's these you know, networks and, and you know, Nick Chapman I had met years before through the mentoring program at UWA. And so it's, you know, and all of a sudden his father's asking me to come be an MD for his company. And that's how I got tapped on the shoulder. I had a breadth of experience um, and opportunity presented itself. I never thought I'd be an MD. I love being on the rocks and I don't always like being in front of cameras or interviewing or anything like that. So, Thanks for coming um, but, on the podcast, Dean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but, but it had to be done. And I remember like watching, working with lots of juniors, it was always, you know, to create the, the philosophy, the exploration philosophy, and then to uh, enable the team to do exploration the way we think exploration needs to be done. You have to have someone at the helm that will allow that to happen. And so, you know, we have a, you know, my, my geology partner, Matt Crow, our exploration manager, uh, he'll never get in front of a camera. Um, <laughs> and so it was, all right, if we're going to do this, then I have to be the guy that, that does this. And, and I think that permeates how we operate as a, as a high-performing team at Dreadnought is that everyone has a role to play. Like I might be the MD, but everyone's role is is absolutely uh, a requirement and, and, and critical to the success of the company. And we recognize that uh, across all the roles and all the positions. And as an MD, do you find yourself, uh, and again, you, t- you talk about being on site and you probably, and you still love the, the, the thrill of the rigs and the noise and the dirt and the dust and the travel and I get all that sort of stuff, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, do you think because of your journey that it has made it's made you a connectable MD that you at the coal face of the workers and whether they be office workers pushing papers inside the office counting numbers or blokes who are digging holes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's also going back to the way I was raised. I remember mom, mom's, mom's a teacher, whole family's teachers and, and athletes. So uh, mom's a geologist as well, but in her day and age, women weren't allowed to become geologists. And so she got failed. She would become an science teacher in the Texas school system. But she would always say, you know, the most important person to make friends with in the school was the janitor. Because they're the ones that can help you. They're the ones, if you needed anything, they're the ones that come and they're fix They're the ones it. that know everything. They're too, the ones don't that they? know everything. Same thing with admin and all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. it's everyone has massive value. It's not role, position, or, or pay. You must be incredibly, uh, feel incredibly lucky to have the the role modeling and the parenting that you've had. It seems as though you've, you've reverted back to your upbringing several times so far in this chat. Mm. You must be incredibly proud, and they must be incredibly proud of you. They must, for the want of a better word, you said you went back to the States recently, but they've lost their boy to the other side of the world. <laughs> but they must be so proud of everything you've done. And, and you talked about being tapped on the shoulder several times. 
that is a great feather in your cap and theirs that people see your abilities. And there's there's a fun story in that as well. Uh, people come to me often as an MD and or exploration manager and go, oh, Dean, can you review my CV? I've never once gotten a job interview for a job I applied for. Every single job I've gotten has been a tap on the shoulder from Hats someone that was known. Well, so, well, so don't ever come to me for CV. No, I won't be. Don't <laughs> worry. Hopefully I don't have to use a CV anytime soon. I'm at the back end of my career. I don't want to be searching. Uh, but again, so let me just talk about the, the combination of being uh, um, an MD but also loving the dirt yes. and loving that infield of battle stuff. Tell us about that mix for you. Uh, so the most exciting time for me ever on a rig is when that, that pad is cleared and you've, you've done all the work to get there. So by the time a pad is cleared to make a discovery hole, um, you've, you've walked the ground doing surface GAKM, doing mapping, doing heritage clearances, environmental clearances. You know, you've walked that ground five, six times. Sometimes you've had to trek in kilometers to get there. And all of a sudden now there's a road, there's a pad and it's waiting for the RC rig to roll up. And when that hammer hits the ground and the dust starts flying, that gives me goosebumps every single time. Every single hole is one that could lead to a discovery. And when seeing that situation set up, it's, it's one of the most exciting parts. And being an MD, I don't get to be there as much. In early days as a small company MD, we started off as a three mil market cap and 0.3 of a cent uh, share price. And so I was writing announcements while on the rig from the field while doing the logging and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and so it was, it was very hands-on. But as we've grown, I think we have, you know, including contractors, now we're up to 20. Uh, but we've, because of my passion for the field, we've also always had really good comms on site. And so I can still go up to site and work and do my MD role while still going out and, and doing some of the uh, boots-on-ground work. Which You're I've not done. one of those blokes who you see a someone working and about to drill a hole and you just go, hey, yeah, yeah, I just said, and you shuffle your way across and sort of bully them out the way, not bully them, but move them out the way and go, this is how you do it? Or do you have to fight that? I, I have to fight it, but it's helped because, you know, I'm, I've become so far distant from the logging codes and the logging systems and the rest that if I got involved, I would just mess it up. And so often what I'll do is I'll, I'll run the bags. So I'll get up there and so let the, let the geo run the rig and the data and everything else and I'll help run the bags and I'll collect the samples and, and do as instructed to help support the rig uh, so then I can still be there to watch and see everything but then not get in the way. All righty. I'm going to just t take us back now to as much as yours is a personal story and you've shared a lot with us, Dean Tuck from Dreadnought Resources, ASX code DRE, and the positivity that the man has brought to us in this uh, chat so far is a reason I'm sure people should be checking up that ASX code DRE. I want to ask uh, some quick fire questions in regards to you personally, and then we'll go and uh, we'll pitch away for Dreadnought going forward and, and what the future looks like, uh, short and medium and long term. Uh, your coffee of choice, do you have one? Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, pickle or latte. Piccolo. Piccolo. That's right. I have, I have so many coffees all day. It allows me to have multiple coffees without getting uh, the complete jitters. Okay. So with coffee limit, what, what would you be knocking back in the numbers uh, of I, I always have at least two, and I try to have no more than four. Okay. That's good numbers. Um, you talk about your family being sporting background. What was your sporting prowess, and do you have any now? I, I had opportunities to offers to play D1 uh, football in the States or gridiron. Uh, but I had five concussions my last year of, of high school, and that's probably why I became a geologist. You know, a few too many knocks to the head. Rocks uh, in your head. Rocks in the head, <laughs> that's right. So uh, I played gridiron, uh, basketball, track, and baseball, the all-American sports. My father played professional baseball and, and college basketball. Who for? Uh, Montreal Expos. Oh, wow. 
And uh, my brother's a, a coach and everything as well, and both grandfathers were military. But a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching, uh, and a lot of sport in the family. Okay, so what about away in now? What what sports do you do? You just keep an eye on on <laughs> NBL and and NBA and stuff, or have you acclimatized to Australian sport? I always loved playing sport. I was never really a big fan of watching sport. Okay, so it's sort of uh, oxymoronic or whatever, and, and that sort of that sort of take. So I really don't follow that many sports. I've signed up for Eagles. State of Origin, I have to say, though, is my favorite sporting event in Australia. Rugby league. I love that that passion yeah. of the Maroons versus the Blues, like that's or Maroons, as you say over here. <laughs> I, that's hands down. I love State of Origin. Okay. That's got to be amazing. Uh, have you have you are you an Eagles member or are you just waiting? Uh, in the wings. Oh, so wow. for the maybe by the time I'm I'm retired, I'll be a, I'll be a member. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they'll be good enough by then. Um, right. Inspirations and mentors. It, like now, I know you've talked about your family, you've talked about the Clough family, you've talked about a number of people you've helped you on your journey, but who's the one, if it's getting tough for you, uh, Tucky, who do you go back to? Paul Chapman, our chairman, is probably one of the best chairman any people could ask for. He's raised a lot of young MDs, and I can see why. His, his, uh, the way he leads, the way his character and everything about him, um, I love Paul Chapman as, as, a, as a chairman, and he's always a good, good role of advice. Uh, and Ian Gordon as well, who was a perfect compliment to, to Paul in the early days. Um, and outside of that, you know, surprisingly more and more, my, my father actually becomes from a, a you know, dumb jock coaching background. But it's, you know, coaching gives you that exposure to teams after teams after teams. Every year, every two years, you have a new team. You have to figure out your teammates, how people pull together and experiment. And so I find myself having a lot of those corporate-type team conversations with my father from a sporting background, and it's amazing how how much that relates. If I was to give you a marking pen and we'd write on that wall some form of work-life motto, what in in, his, in few words, what would your work motto or your theme be for either you personally or the team at Dreadnought and the team? Personally, I come from a family of workaholics, and so we have found a way to merging life balance with work. So my wife has been out to every single one of my work sites. Um, you know, we've built a compound at home. For, for the guys, they're not all workaholics. I have to, I acknowledge that a lot. Some of them are. Uh, so it is, we're very supportive and flexible to allow people to achieve. Uh, we have some guys, they, they're doing triathlons. They did the Rado swim. Uh, anyone that wants to achieve something, we allow that to work and we allow that flexibility in there, what's important to people. So it's, um, we are flexible. It is about finding that work-life balance, but it's also people have different uh, tolerances for work-life balance and what that is. I, I'm a workaholic. I, I love work. Welcome to the club, mate. There's two of us. May I ask you, what do you do in your downtime? I know you want to spend it with your wife and stuff, but uh, what do you do absolutely in your downtime? Are you, I, I, and I, I want to be as, again, respectful as I can, Tucky, but I just wanted to know, you, you strike me as you could be a, um, a gamer, <laughs> Do you game? Um, I try not to. So when I was... You're a Fortniter? No, when, when I was younger, uh, I'd get a game and I'd do nothing else. And so uh, addictive personality, I suppose. So I, I stay away from games because if I did, I'd, I'd probably be a full into it. Netflix watcher? No, we, we actually uh, have a family food truck. So uh, my sister-in-law is a chef. So recently we floated FIFO wings. It's a, it's a food truck and it does American-style chicken wings and... And so we'll often, on a weekend, you'll see me behind the till. I love this. Uh, working, working as a, you know, serving people up fried chicken. So. And you just, at what, at, uh, at, at, at markets? Markets. And yeah, we were, at, we were just at uh, you know, Herdsman Lake last night. 
Uh, so I walked, cool. walked home from, I left the office around 5.36. Uh, my wife and her sister were told to the trailer down and were set up and pop in there and help out for a bit. And, and, uh, and yeah, so it's sort of, it's family time. We're working. So let's talk about bringing that family and work together. Okay. It's a side hustle and it's a bit of fun. It's a fantastic side hustle. Now, uh, as we're about to wrap it up, I just say, but what do you do when you're doing nothing, mate? I know you're a workaholic and you do the food truck and, and so I love all that and that's someone else's passion and you're involved in that. What is a day with you doing nothing? I. You do something every day, don't you? I do something every day. So I mean, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll yeah, have this my, is what I, the next I'll question is. Co- next question, and you would have heard this on the previous podcast. What's the first thing you do when you wake up as part of Dreadnought Resources when you go into your work zone? So you've had a, sh- I was going to say shave, but that's, you, know, you might have trimmed it up <laughs> a true. tad. All right, you've had, you've had your shower, you've put your brill cream in your hair. What ha- What's the first thing you do work-wise as part of Dreadnought? Read all the news, all the announcements of the companies we're watching, get across what's what's happening in the day, see what lessons there are and send that through and discuss that with the team, um, and then get onto the emails and, and get stuck into it. How's Dreadnought tracking? Where, where are you at? Uh, let's not pitch forward yet. Let's just yeah. pitch now. Where are you at now as a company? We are at now. We've delivered a number of discoveries. Our most recent and most exciting one that's captured the market's attention is a rare earth discovery uh, next door to, to our previous ones. We're able to jump on and have second mover advantage with the rare earths. And we delivered our first main resource uh, just in December last year. We're out there drilling. We have three rigs going at the moment. We're adding to that resource. We're converting that resource. We're doing the met. We're really proving up the, the legs that this thing could turn into a hole in the ground. All right. So there you go. So, again, you now just tread over the line of pitching. What's the, <laughs> what's the, what's the short, medium, and long-term look of Dreadnought? What do you, where do you want to be in 12 months' time? Where do you want to be midstream? And where do you want to be long-term? Philosophically, as a team, we're an exploration team. I'm an exploration guy. My, my, my team's all exploration people. So uh, we would like to continue delivering our discoveries, proving them up to, to mineable capacity, and either building up the team internally to have a building team, a mining team that's as passionate as us, or finding a partner to do that, while the core original Dreadnought team continues to make discoveries, follow up on our Orion copper discovery in the Kimberley, follow up on our, our nickel work and all the gold work that uh, we have going around. So we have a lot of other exciting, big uh, company-scale projects. Our newest one, Bresnahan, end of last year, uh, heavy rare earth potential. You know, this is what gets us out of bed. We're going to keep working on those projects while we're delivering the mangrove and rare earths. And that's uh, the future is having more discoveries and more mines under our belt. Okay, so the, the listeners and the, the Tim Gossages out there who have got a few bob to spare and they're looking at, ah, oh, where do we go, what do we invest in? Without overstepping the ASX rulings, pitch. Pitch DRE. Pitch, pitch Dreadnought. Pitch ASX code DRE. Dreadnought, we're finding the metals for our future. So as we go and we start going down a low-carbon path, we're going to have to mine uh, exponentially more metal to make that happen. And Dreadnought is a team that can put together those exploration criteria and find the metals that have not been in demand in the past, or in more demand going forward, we are the team that can go out there, get the job done, and find more. You're a great leader. I'd be inspired in the change rooms prior to going out on the uh, on the ground and into battle. We appreciate you spending time here chatting, and uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have been impressed by the journey so far, and it's really a, 
to use a, I don't even know if this is a mining terminology, you've only scratched the surface, I reckon, <laughs> in Australia, Dean, and, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Tim. It's a great story. Dean Tuck joining us from, of course, Dreadnought Resources, DRE. Well, we hope you enjoyed our chat with Dean and make sure you tune into our next edition when we'll be providing you with another rare insight into an executive leading one of the companies you may be want to invest in or already invested in, of course. You can get the goss on what makes them tick and why they do what they do. ASX Market Goss is available on a number of platforms, obviously the one you're listening to right now, but get out there and, and spread the word. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, rss.com. Like us, subscribe to us, leave a comment, rate us, give us your feedback. Until next time, this has been ASX Market Goss, and we appreciate Dean Tuck from Dreadnought Resources time today. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.